As we turn to the reading of God's Word, I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, verses 19 through 21. I don't know if it's just because it's uh, summertime and I was feeling a little punchy, um, but uh, yeah, the sermon title is exactly as you see it, uh, Burn a Plow, Eat a Cow. We've uh, been following the ministry of Elijah, and today we enter the stage also with Elisha, the successor to this great prophet, Elijah. Now, through over the last few months, we have seen Elijah appear kind of out of nowhere on the scene of the nation of Israel and confront King Ahab and tell him he was in the wrong, that he was not leading God's people, God's nation in the right way. Elijah confronts Ahab, he, he prophesies a drought, and then he disappears. He goes and hides in the Kareth Ravine until even the ravine where he's fed by ravens and drinks from a brook, the drought is so severe that even the brook dries up. So Elijah goes to Zarephath. A widow there takes care of him. And Elijah sees God's watchful care, not from an Israelite, but over an outsider. The widow in Zarephath is in the region of Tyre and Sidon, a center of idolatry and, and Baal worship. And yet there, Elijah sees that God's promises are not just for God's people, but for all people. From there, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and moves him to go and speak with Obadiah, a faithful servant of the Lord who serves in King Ahab's court. And through Ahab, well, through Obadiah, Ahab and Elijah meet, and the showdown on Mount Carmel is arranged. And with a great display of God's power on Mount Carmel, Elijah proves that the Lord is God and that Baal, who the people were worshiping, is not. And yet, even through that great display of power, Elijah goes off and hides in a cave again. He thinks he's the only one left. He thinks he's the only faithful person still around. And yet, the Lord assures him on the side of Mount Horeb that there are 7,000 still in Israel who are faithful. Elijah is not alone. We are not alone. But God's faithful have surrounded him this whole time. But for all of Elijah's high hopes of seeing everyone immediately turn back to the Lord through this great display of power, it doesn't happen. And so today we turn just to a one-to-one relationship that begins between Elijah and Elisha. With this context in mind, we're going to pick up um, at 1 Kings 19, verses 19 through 21. But before we do so, let's pray. Lord, open our hearts that we may hear you. Open our eyes that we may see you. May our spirits yield to what you would have us hear this morning. Lord, send your Holy Spirit upon us in earnestness and power that your word may be illumined to us this day. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 1 Kings 19. 19 through 21. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? 
So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I know it's summertime and the weather is astounding, and so sometimes we watch the clock a little bit because uh, we've got things to do on Sunday afternoon. So maybe in that spirit and light, I'll let you know that there's three main points that we're going to cover today from this short passage of Scripture. That way you can, you know, if you want to, you can write them down, keep track in your bulletin, and check them off as we go. But the three pieces that we're going to zero in on this day, one is the cloak of Elijah that is given to Elisha. The second is this interesting episode of burning the plow and eating the cow, although I know it's actually an ox, but that didn't rhyme. Burning of the plow and the eating of the cow. And then the third is this servanthood that begins, this faithful following that Elisha is going to start following Elijah, and Elisha will follow him faithfully until the day that Elijah is called to heaven. The cloak, the plow, and the servanthood. And first of all is the cloak. It might seem strange to us because there's no words that are even exchanged. We're told, if if you're imagining the story in your mind as it unfolds, that Elisha is out farming. He's in the field. He is driving the oxen. And all of a sudden, Elijah comes up, throws his cloak around him, assumedly says nothing, and begins to walk away because we're told that Elisha runs after him to catch up to him. This might seem strange to us, um, a strange gesture, but certainly Elisha knew what was taking place here. To give someone your cloak is to pass the baton to the next runner. And it's a loaded symbol. It is a sign and a meaningful one that is passed from Elijah to Elisha. I ask you to forgive me if I ever mix up one or the two. It's, it's easy to do. We can get the right ones in our head and still say the wrong one. But this cloak is given from Elijah to Elisha. Now, a cloak is both meaningful as a garment, but it also has some loaded symbolism. It's a very strong metaphor. And if I don't quite get this well enough, ask Jed, because this is one of his areas of expertise, and he can explain it in great detail as well. But one of the things about a cloak is that it's not just a piece of clothing, but it also, it protects you, it it shades you. Just like in Psalm 121, the Lord is your shade at your right hand. The Lord protects you from the heat of the sun, and no danger will befall you under the moon at night. And the cloak would also be a constant reminder for Elisha that just as God watched over Elijah, so shall God watch over him. Just as God watched over Elijah in his confrontations with Ahab, in his fleeing from Jezebel, through the drought, through all these things, God watched over Elijah. And now God will watch over Elisha in the same way. Some of you have seen this before, but I have here with me one of my favorite coats. Some of you know this used to be my dad's. So it's very vintage. And my dad is still living and well. This wouldn't fit him anymore. 
and I've worn this before. I wear it every fall. It's my favorite. But this coat used to be my dad's. I'd say he's a, I don't know if he'd quite, no, he would not fit in this coat anymore. But it was his. And when I wear it, I remember that the Lord watched over my dad. That my dad wore this coat when he was first a young newlywed, that the Lord watched over him. That my dad wore this coat when he first started farming on his own and wasn't sure how things would turn out. The Lord watched over him. I know that my dad owned this coat when he was diagnosed with cancer, and the Lord watched over him. I know that my dad had this coat during the 80s farm crisis, and the Lord watched over him. And I know that my dad had this coat when he became a father for the first, second, and third time, and the Lord watched over him. So when I wear this coat, not just because it looks a little bit um, like a coat from Guardians of the Galaxy, um, just enough, yeah, some of you are wondering. That's one reason I like it. It looks a little bit like Star-Lord's coat, but it also reminds me that this coat was worn for years. And it reminds me of all that, all that my father went through, and if I look back further, generation to generation of God's faithfulness, that this coat was worn through times of confidence and times of trial through times of hope and times of uncertainty. And in the same way, I wear it, and I remember. And it gives me some assurance that God will continue to watch over me as I look to the past for confidence to look to the future, to know that the Lord will continue to watch over us. This is the same promise and assurance that we celebrate in baptism, that Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the promise that we carry into baptism with hope. And so I wear the coat to keep me warm, to try to look like Chris Pratt, and to remember that the Lord will continue to watch over us. Because the coat is a symbol and a metaphor. It it is tied to the same understanding in the Old Testament of resting underneath the shadow of God's wing. Just as a coat protects you from harm, so it is that a bird will nest and use the wings to protect the young. This is a frequently used metaphor, especially in the prayer of God's people. Psalm 17, verse 8 says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 36, verse 7 says, How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 57, verse 1, opens with the words, Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge, and I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Psalm 63, 7, Because you are my help, O Lord, I will sing in the shadow of your wings. Passing the cloak from one prophet to the next is a reminder that one prophet did his ministry under the shadow of God's wing, under God's watchful care, and so now the next will continue to do so under the shadow of God's wing. One of my encouragements to people, maybe around my age or even older, is when you struggle in your faith, when you wonder how things are going to turn out, talk to those who are our elders. Not just the elders in the church, those who serve in that office, but those who have gone before us. 
those who have lived underneath the shadow of God's wing through times of trial. And to be perfectly honest, when I need to be reminded of the shadow of God's wing, I will seek out people to call on and visit, to hear their stories, to be reminded that they were underneath the shadow of God's wing. And God's faithfulness and watchful care will continue from generation to generation. It's a loaded symbol for Elijah to take the cloak and say, you are now underneath the same shadow of God's wing that I was under. Wings are symbolized in garments in the Old Testament. But also the New Testament makes use of that same kind of metaphor and imagery. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Clothe yourselves. Wear these things. One thing that's obvious when you meet someone, whether you're thinking about it or not, you recognize what they're wearing. You can probably guess some things about them. Yesterday on the way back from a wedding reception, Caitlin and I stopped by Meyer, and to wear a shirt and tie, you almost assume they're coming from a wedding or something fancy. We can see things when we see how people are dressed. And what matters the most, what, what we are urged to do in light of Christ's mercy is to clothe ourselves, not worried about external appearance, but clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Wear those virtues in such a way that it is obvious that that is who you are. The shadow of the cloak, the shadow of God's wing, is passed from one to the next. And just as Elijah was watched over, Elisha will be watched over. And just as Elisha will have a constant reminder of God's faithfulness, now with his new servant at hand, Elijah will be reminded that he is not alone and that his life and work are not in vain. So the cloak is given, passed from one to the next, like a baton to the next runner. And then there's the burning of the plow and the eating of the cow. This is curious. It almost seems like a little bit of an extreme measure that he burns the plowing equipment to cook the oxen that he slaughtered to give it to the people. And then they eat. And then after that, he sets out. Now, what this symbolizes, maybe at an obvious juncture, is that there is no turning back from this point. There's no life to return to because Elisha has given up his old way of life and he's going to follow Elijah. Now, I have with me a very helpful model, especially, yeah, Marv, I'm glad you're so close to the front today for the baptism that you can see this in its bright red coloring. But you know, Tractors are, are the oxen of today. Now, I did not burn a tractor when I felt God was calling me into ministry, and that's a good thing. I tried to keep my accidents on the farm to a minimum. But I think of, of, of us understanding what happens here with Elisha when he burns the plowing equipment, slaughters the oxen, and then goes and follows Elijah. It'd be like, hopefully not burning, ugh. It'd be like selling your tractor to buy a one-way ticket to a different place in the world. 
that you've sold the asset and that you've used it to go forward and that there's no way to get back. There's no way of life to return to. It's like selling a tractor to buy a one-way ticket. And in that same way, Elisha is cutting all ties with his previous life to follow Elijah and Elijah alone. Whether he waffles or, or second-guesses himself or not, there's nothing to return to. The tractor's been sold. The plow has been burned. The oxen have been slaughtered and fed to the people. In the same way, when Jesus called his disciples, the fishermen just dropped their nets and followed him. They left it behind. And one thing I want to make really clear here, don't hear what I'm not saying, they weren't leaving something bad. This isn't a matter of repentance where you turn away from evil to follow good. But they were turning away from the life that they knew, stepping out in faith, leaving nothing behind to go and follow Jesus. They left their nets. Elisha burned his plow. They leave it behind to follow God. One thing that's important for us to know is that regardless of occupation, we all follow God and have a mission and a witness wherever we are placed. So you don't need to burn your plows or break your garden hose over your knee. But there is an understanding that this is steadfast devotion. We're going to leave this behind because we're going to be centered on this that we are called to. But if you're familiar with the New Testament, you might be wondering why Elisha has it so easy. Because when people are starting to follow Jesus and asking him and wanting to follow him and wondering about the cost of discipleship, Jesus actually sets the bar very high. Hear these words from Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Maybe in contrast to what we hear in 1 Kings 19, where Elisha asks if he can kiss his mother and father goodbye. But rather, when people are following Jesus, picking up in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But that man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Seems like a reasonable request. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. This is the same request that Elisha makes. But Jesus replied unto him and said, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, Elijah does allow Elisha to go back, but Jesus says no. Jesus is speaking metaphorically about the work that is proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he says, once you put your hand to the plow, once you engage this work, you don't get to turn back. Because what's behind you when you're at the plow? Home, the comfort of your house, maybe the shade of a tree that's not too far away. But once your hand is to the plow, Jesus says, no turning back. You are all in. You are committed to this. In the same way that we pray for Gage and Amanda and the whole family as they raise Leif and Colson and Ellery, that their hand is to the plow of raising their children and that there's no turning back. 
But that's not just on them. That's for all of us as a church, as a gathered community of Christ's disciples. That when we make these promises in baptism, that we don't make them just in passing, but that we also are putting our hand to the plow. We are committing to this work to pray for these who are in our midst, to teach them, to show them Christ's love by worship and in the nurture of the church and by our own example. This is our work as well. This is all of our work, that we put our hand to the plow and commit to it, to commit to one another. Elijah does allow Elisha to go back. And probably the biggest reason we understand that is because he's not a king. A king can conscript someone into service, and they are immediately in their stead. But Elijah's response is, what have I done to you? Essentially meaning, I've, I've not conscripted you into anything. I've not drafted you into this because I'm not a king. You get to follow me willingly or you don't follow me at all. Jesus was also a prophet like Elijah, but Jesus was also a priest and a king. We believe that Jesus was prophet, priest, and king, but Elijah is only a prophet. Kings have the ability to call people out and to bring them alongside, and there is no turning back. There's no option. But we don't always like that version of Jesus. It might seem harsh that Jesus says, you can't even bury your own dead. You can't go back and say goodbye to your family. You're with me right now. We don't maybe like this king version of Jesus. Part of it's because, I mean, we're American. We are shaped by a culture of independence and self-reliant autonomy, that we are in charge of our own lives and that no one gets to tell us what to do over ourselves. But maybe what we need more than ever in our culture, in our society, is to be reminded that we are not the final authority on our lives, that we are not in charge of our own destiny because Jesus is our king. We do not have self-reliant autonomy. Rather, we yield authority over our lives to God if we truly believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means we follow. We don't turn back. We follow Christ. We walk across the street. We strike up conversation with someone because we felt that nudge from the Holy Spirit, even though we might be frightened. We go. We make the phone call. We make the visit. We reach out to our neighbor, our friend, our coworker, our family member, because that's what we've been called to. And it's not ultimately up to us if we believe that Christ is Lord over our lives. Elisha does go back. But he goes back to finish all of his unfinished business of parting with his family, of making sure that there's nothing to return back to so that he follows Elijah faithfully for the rest of his life. We might not have to do something so dramatic as light something on fire or slaughter an animal. But in the same way, we do follow God with steadfast devotion when he calls out to us that we don't turn back, that we make sure that there's no unfinished business that will call us back, but that we first make ourselves right with God to follow him. This is great hope for baptism, for all of us as a church, to celebrate and say there's no turning back and that our prayer for Leif and for all of our children in this church 
is that when Jesus does call them one day, when Leif hears the voice of God saying, come, follow me, that Leif will say, yes, yes, Lord, I believe, and that he won't think twice about following God to wherever and whatever God calls him to. This is our hope and our prayer, and we celebrate when we get to see it happen. This is servanthood, to say, I'm all in. I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to turn back. I'm not going to leave anything to go back to. Once again, we do this wherever we are, wherever God places us. But we do so in great faith. And we do so with assurance. Just as Elisha wearing the cloak of Elijah would remind him of God's faithfulness, Elijah, as the elder, also has great hope and assurance in having Elisha side by side with him. To know that for all of, Elisha, all of Elijah's hopes for seeing all of Israel revived and turning back to God, and yet so often feeling like he was the only one, now he has one disciple, one follower, a constant reminder that the work that God did through Elijah will continue. Those who are young among you, look to your elders for the hope and stories of how God has been faithful to them. And those who are our elders here, look with hope and prayer and earnest example to see that God's work will continue through these disciples who are being raised up. Whether it be Leif, whose baptism we celebrated today, whether it be our youth who are returning from Alaska, and we trust and pray that God has spoken to them during their time also. All of this is the servanthood that continues. It continues from one generation to the next. And it is not in vain if it is done in God's will. What is it that you need to do to follow God faithfully? What's the unfinished business that needs to be sorted out and taken care of so that you can move forward? What is it that holds you back or turns your face backwards? Whatever that is, in the spirit of Elisha, who burned a plow and ate a cow. Finish your unfinished business. Sort it out. Make the apology that you need to. Settle the business that you need to, to follow God faithfully without hindrance or distraction. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of God's Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Lord, you call us to follow you in steadfast devotion. Whether it was the disciples leaving their nets behind or Elisha leaving behind his slaughtered oxen and burned plow, Lord, help us to follow you with faithful, steadfast devotion. Lord, whatever might be stirring in our hearts, things that we know are drawing our attention away from you, give us clarity that we can work through things well, that we can find a fresh start in following your call upon our lives, that you may speak clearly to us and that you may surround us with those whom we need to be surrounded by, whether it be just one person to look up to or one person to lead on the right paths. Supply us, Lord, with that which we need, for we know that your work will continue from generation to generation, because you and you alone are faithful. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who calls us. Amen.